Today is April 19th, 2021. The United States and China meet to discuss coordination of climate change. A Democrat congresswoman causes a stir at the protests for Dante Wright. And an America First caucus loses steam. I'm your host, Austin Taylor, and this is Split the Difference Podcast. Here we take a look at both sides of the political aisle as we try to bridge the gap between today's biggest issues. Remember, times may be divisive and we may not always agree, but together we can stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic show for you here today. We were working tirelessly, as we always do, over the weekend to make sure that we were bringing all of the best news and insights that we possibly could for y'all here bright and early to start your week out on this Monday morning. We are looking at the left and the right as much as we can and trying to split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and hop on into our first story of the day, story number one. So, for our first story of the day, the United States and China last week met and discussed climate change. Uh, This was set against the backdrop of a lot of things that the United States and China have been disagreeing on over the past couple of years, uh, the standing of Taiwan the Uyghur Muslim concentration camps and the population there in China uh, and a lot of the incredible human rights abuses that are happening there promulgated by the Chinese government, uh, tariffs on Chinese goods uh, coming to America, uh, and then, you know, obviously plenty of other things. Uh, There have been a lot of joint statements and agreements. Uh, There have not been a lot of joint statements and and agreements between the United States and China uh, in quite some time that have actually been kind of a positive outcome from conversations that have been had between the two countries. Uh, Because in a lot of ways, the U.S. and China are kind of the world's superpowers and are almost always kind of opposed to one another on the international stage, kind of jockeying back and forth for that power and that number one position in a lot of different areas. Um, So John Kerry, a Democrat politician uh, that he's been in politics for years and years now. Uh, He led a United States special envoy for climate change uh, and went over and met with, I believe their name is pronounced Shai Xinhua. Uh, They're the leader of China's Ministry of Ecology and Environment. So John Kerry and uh, Xinhua talked for about two days uh, and came together with a joint statement outlining the measures that each country would take uh, in order to be able to address in a coordinated way the issue of climate change. So it basically said that the United States and China are, quote, uh, looking to tackle the climate crisis, which must be addressed with the seriousness and urgency that it demands. So they agreed to a number of different things. One, they agreed to discuss specific emission reduction actions to decarbonize industry and power. That includes energy storage, carbon capture, and green hydrogen was one of the things that they said. Uh, they also talked through the use of re- like basically increasing the use of renewable energy, reducing emissions from coal, oil and gas. So a lot of the fossil fuel uh, energy emissions uh, and also addressing emissions from international aviation. That's come be- slowly but surely kind of been coming under increasing pressure uh, from a lot of people that want to see uh, climate change addressed in a real way is basically reducing the emissions that we see from aviation because Flying is obviously the quickest and the most popular way to travel around, especially the world, Uh, not just domestically in the United States or domestically in China, but 
globally. Uh, so the exact specifics of each of these things and how they would be done was not really laid out, but instead this was kind of basically establishing that the United States and China would work towards these things together. So uh, this is, in a lot of ways, seen as a huge win for, from the perspective of climate activists, especially on the left side of the aisle. So China is the world's largest carbon emitter, uh, followed, by, followed right behind uh, by the United States at number two. Uh, so many believe that if anything is actually going to happen uh, or is going to be done in the way of helping to stop climate change, then it will have to be a joint effort between the United States and China um, and them kind of leading the world on the, on you know a global stage to kind of get other countries to buy into uh, the fact that it's a problem and that you know they, a change can be made. Um, however, I will say in the past, it has seemed like China is very reticent to agreeing on anything because they're worried that it'll damage their economy. Um, the United States and China are really such large players in the world economy and in the world market that uh, China and many believe that if China agrees to step in and help the cause, yes, other countries will jump on board, but China's not really going to want to do it if it means damaging a lot of the workers uh, and the jobs that are there in China and damaging the economy that China has built, which for the most part has been on uh, a lot of high indu high industry type of manufacturing or um, a lot of things that have incredibly high emissions. So um, one of the other big things that was discussed is figuring out good ways to provide financing for developing countries as well, basically to help them develop in a way that is friendly to the environment. So since the Industrial Revolution really kicked off, uh, you know, 150 years ago or so, um, I guess, well, depending on where, you, what country you're in, but for, through the world over, when countries are starting to develop and they're really getting into a place where they're starting to increase industry, they're increasing the amount of wealth that they have, most of the time it is done through extremely high use of fossil fuels and manufacturing and all, all kind of all stuff in that nature. So, the United States and China met together to try and hopefully also figure out ways that they could help finance smaller countries that are developing and de so that they develop in a way that is not on the back of fossil fuels. Um, so the left was incredibly critical of Trump and the Trump administration for a lot of things. That's not lost on anybody. But one of the things that they hated the most was what John Kerry called this last week uh, Trump's, quote, his non-leadership in the area of climate change, okay? So Trump pulled the United States out of the Paris Climate Accords uh, very early on in his administration, right in 2017, uh, because Trump viewed it as something that actually wasn't really helping anything. Uh, he also believed that the countries that needed to be held accountable to energy and emission standards weren't actually in it, and he argued, and much of the right agreed, that these accords were really just a way for developed countries to act like they're doing a lot when in reality they you know, kind of really aren't. Um, Biden purposefully made climate one of his primary talking points throughout his campaign. Okay, He signed back onto the Paris Climate, climate Accords his very first day in office through executive action. Uh, and he's also said that he wants to tackle climate change in a wide multitude of different ways, especially in his infrastructure package that he actually just released and has been talking about for the past week or two. He wants the United States to be completely carbon neutral by 2050, uh, basically meaning that the carbon dioxide or pollutants that are produced by the United States are offset completely by efforts to remove it from the atmosphere or uh, basically eliminating other emissions from society. Okay, so Biden wants us to be, you know, completely carbon neutral as an entire country by 2050. He wants to take the leadership and be on the front on the forefront of the world stage in combating and fighting climate change. Um, 
Biden is also planning a climate change summit this coming week, right now, this week, um, that was going to gather 40 leaders from across the world. Pretty much all of the big names from all of the big countries across the world are expected to meet and discuss ways to improve uh, the human impact on the environment. So Chinese President Xi Jinping is expected to be there, along with other leaders from big countries, like even Vladimir Putin is supposed to come as well. Um, A summit, according to the White House, is supposed to hit on a couple of things. Uh, One, galvanizing efforts by the world's major economies to reduce emissions, uh, mobilizing public and private sector finance to drive uh, the net zero transition and help vulnerable countries cope with climate impacts, uh, the economic benefits of climate actions with a strong emphasis on job creation. That's one thing that Biden has like really, really hammered home is that he thinks and he views that green energy is the way of the future. And it's one of the biggest ways that the United States and the world as a whole can add an incredible amount of new jobs to their economies. Um, one of the last things that they're talk that they're also talking about this summit is spurring transformational technologies that can help reduce emissions and adapt to climate change. Uh, so the idea here is basically R and D, your research and development, having a whole bunch of countries and a whole bunch of companies get behind trying to develop new technologies that are going to grow us as a world population towards uh, positively affecting the climate and, and the world we live. So. Whether or not anything comes from the meeting between the United States and China obviously is yet to be seen. However, one of the key arguments from the right about how a lot of the climate change, about a whole lot of the climate change stuff is that there are a lot of other countries that aren't doing anything to stop their emissions. Okay. So why would we destroy our economy to help when we don't have, when other countries don't have to? And you know, before you say that that argument is ridiculous, there really is something to be said for making sure that the United States does not cripple itself in regards to energy output and production uh, and keeping up basically to make sure that it keeps up on the world stage. Okay. Keeping that, that number one kind of leader within the world uh, position for the United States is incredibly important. And I don't think that we should throw that away in order to completely gut the entirety of our energy sector. Um, But What I will say is it really does look like now there's starting to be a more global consensus that moving towards greener energy is a beneficial thing, especially in the area of research and job creation, which Biden, like I said earlier, has harped on as a gigantic upside. So maybe we'll start to see a lot more of the right kind of leaning more towards helping and pushing towards greener energy moving more towards helping, you know, climate change in one way or another. Uh, You can see a a slight shift in that from the more moderate Republicans. You have a lot of the Trump Republicans, I think, that don't care at all about climate change or say that it's a hoax. Um, And that's fine. They're entitled to their opinion. However, crazy, I think that that is. Um, But getting all the major world economies on board for researching and leading the way and cutting emissions will go a long way in actually getting those things done and getting China on board with it, and then eventually, hopefully, India as well, uh, it will make a huge impact. So all this could be a very good thing in the future. We'll just have to see how it plays out. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, uh, Maxine Waters goes to Brooklyn Center. So over the past couple of days, we have seen more unrest continuing to build up in Brooklyn Center. Uh, That's the town right outside of Minneapolis where Dante Wright was killed last week by a police officer. In case you missed that story... 
Wright was an unarmed black man that was killed by a cop during a traffic stop. It appeared that it was unintentional by the police officer, but since that since the cop that shot him uh, was arrested and the chief of police actually stepped down, there's a whole bunch of moving pieces and a whole bunch of stuff that is, you know, been happening there in that area over the past week. Uh, and there have been a lot of protests since then. There have been protests every single night. Uh, many of those have ended in violence. Curfews have been set. Uh, and all of the all the while, there's a the backdrop of the Derek Chauvin case that is being tried at about 15 miles away from where this actually took place. So Amidst some of the chaos over the past couple of days, Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters decided that she wanted to go out there and get a whole bunch of publicity, okay? Because as we know, a good politician never lets a tragedy go to waste. So Maxine Waters, who is truly a terrible politician, okay? I have never been a fan of Maxine Waters, uh, not just her politics, but the way that she goes about things and the way that she articulates things. There are a lot of people on the left side of the aisle uh, that I have a lot of respect for. I at least respect their ability to be able to politic well, like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I don't agree with all of their politics, but for the most part, like they, they know what they're doing, okay? And they're doing their job for the most, you know, pretty well in a lot of cases, okay? I don't agree with everything that they do. Maxine Waters, on the other hand, is just terrible, okay? She is out of California. She's a pretty much a career politician. She's been in Congress for well over two decades, okay? And uh, she pretty much makes her hay by saying absolutely ridiculous things and taking money from really large donors, okay? So Maxine Waters goes out there, not to her constituents at all, okay? She goes out there and starts spouting off some ridiculous stuff, basically stirring up more strife per usual, and she said, quote, we've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure they know that we mean business. Okay. She was also demanding more regulations on guns and saying that all of this keeps happening because of the racist people on the right side of the aisle that want to keep guns and want for, you know, blacks to be killed by police more. Uh, she says that the answer is to cause more problems to stay in the streets longer and to be more confrontational. This is not the first time that Maxine Waters has come out and said some stuff like this. Uh, she famously in 2018 uh, said that Democrats should go and confront Republicans in the streets if they are connected to the Trump administration in any way. Uh, she said that they should go out and publicly confront and harass people within the Trump administration. Was she removed from the Democratic ranks? No. Was she rebuked for saying this in the Democratic ranks? No. Maxine Waters goes out there and continuously says terrible things like this, like we should become more confrontational in the Black Lives Matter protests. You should go out and harass people that are related to the Trump campaign or the Trump administration. All of that is absolutely horrendous things to say. Um, she was also joined by race baiting Jesse Jackson, uh, who has made a career out of causing derisions based upon race, all under the fakeade that he's just trying to help out his fellow black Americans. Uh, and so all of this kind of gets to the point that I want to make about this story. The last thing that we need is more politicians stirring up anger and emotions simply because they know it will keep them in power. It's the last thing that we need, okay? There was literally no reason at all why Maxine Waters should have been up in Minnesota, okay? She wasn't helping anything. She wasn't trying to calm things down. She was literally doing the exact opposite of that, and that is absolutely infuriating. At least when AOC decided that she was going to go down to Texas and do all her photo shoots and whatnot, she was at least raising money, okay? There's pictures of her actually doing volunteering a little bit, okay? And you can say that that was just a big publicity stunt by AOC. 
Whatever. Oh, fine. She's at least doing something. Maxine Waters is just up there walking around trying to make people more pissed off than they already are. Okay. And everybody up there is already, tensions are through the roof. The reason why stuff like, you know, unarmed black people being shot by police officers, no matter what the situation is, because any situation, whether it's an accident or not, is not a good thing. The reason why the stuff can't be helped or fixed is because of instead of actually going and doing her job, people like Maxine Waters would rather be out in front of a camera stirring up controversy as much of as much as possible. Maybe. If instead of saying that black people need to get more confrontational in the streets, she could try to communicate with the people in Congress that she thinks are so horrible and are causing all the problems and try to reach some sort of compromise or maybe even see their point of view and where they're coming from so legislation can be passed to benefit situations like these. If there are things that need to be passed that she thinks would be beneficial to stop situations like this from happening, she should be in Congress getting that stuff legislated and getting it done. What is she doing out there just spouting off nonsense out of her blowhole in the streets of Brooklyn Center? Especially because in the case of Dante Wright, it is apparently obvious that the cop that shot him wasn't even close to acting out of some sort of racist fashion, okay? If anything, she it looks like, she, from the evidence that we have, that she did it on accident. And because we have a justice system that works, in most cases, she has already been arrested and she likely will be convicted of manslaughter as she should be, okay? Her mistake ended the life of another human being, and there are consequences for those actions in the United States, okay? What if, instead of causing more problems on the street, Maxine Waters went out there and celebrated the fact that the United States justice system is actually working in this case, okay? Yes, it's terrible that Dante Wright was killed, but right now, it looks like justice will be served, okay? It's just ridiculous. Her and politicians like her realize that having an angry voting base is better than having a happy voting base, okay? Because when people are angry, they want to see change. And when they want to see change, they're much more willing to go to the polls and vote if they can be convinced by the the politicians running that they'll be able to fix their problems. People that are happy and are satisfied with what is going on in D.C. are not nearly as likely to go out and vote. Just a fact, okay? I'm so tired of seeing politicians out just pandering to people and all they want is they just have this desire to be in front of a camera instead of actually sitting in Congress and getting something done that is reasonable and actually effective. And this goes for both sides of the aisle, right? Like I'm totally crapping on Maxine Waters right now because she deserves it, but there are plenty of other politicians on the right side of the aisle that are absolutely terrible and just pander a ton as well. Uh, There isn't one issue in America, I am convinced, that couldn't be helped and aided by both sides of the the aisle coming together communicating effectively and legitimately putting their heads together on how to fix the issues okay not one issue in america that wouldn't be helped by that now would they be able to solve every issue likely not not every issue can be solved immediately right but solutions can be found in a lot of different cases and issues can definitely be helped standing out in front of a camera and being you know just blowing a whole bunch of ridiculous crap out of your mouth is not the way to do it So, end of Austin's rant for story number two. Let's go ahead and hop on into our third story and our last story. Story number three. So, we went from craziness happening on the left side of the aisle to now craziness happening on the right. And this comes out of the America First Caucus, okay? Uh, So... 
Uh, the craziness always comes from crazy sources, and apparently over the past weeks or months, uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, that genius from the 14th District of Georgia, uh, and a few of her other dingbats have decided to get together and draft documents to put together a new caucus within the Republican Party called the America First Caucus. A draft document was released and found by Punchbowl News, I don't know how legitimate they are, but they released it and apparently actually was real. Nobody denied it. Uh, that apparently was kind of the initial workings putting together of this caucus. Okay. And it has some pretty ridiculous stuff in it. The group has not filed any official documentation to the House Administration Committee. So it is not technically an official caucus and it was widely condemned by the Republican Party. So I highly doubt that it actually will become a legitimate caucus. But the goals of this caucus were pretty clear and they laid it out in this document. One, that they wanted to fall totally in line, wholly behind Donald Trump, basically creating a group or a caucus within the Republican Party that purposefully differentiates themselves from be as being specifically aligned with and underneath the leadership of Donald Trump. Currently, within the Republican Party, there's not really a caucus that does that, okay? Um, and so having, a, or a, that's their like official stance, right? Um, so they're kind of wanting to create this caucus that's like we're Donald Trump's caucus, pretty much, okay? On immigration, the caucus draft document calls for curtailing legal immigration, the legal immigration system, and stopping illegal immigration completely. And said, quote, America is a nation with a border and a culture strengthened by a common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions. So in other words, we're a nation of white people and it should stay that way. Uh, the group also states a preference for European architecture in a discussion on infrastructure, saying, quote, the America First Caucus will work towards an infrastructure that reflects the architectural, engineering, and aesthetic value that benefits the progeny of European architecture. Apparently, white people have the best architecture as well. So the Republican Party as a whole, like I said, got together condemned it and pretty much just threw it out, which I was very, very happy to hear because getting rid of the crazy within your ranks is much needed in politics It is of the utmost importance, especially for the Republican Party as they're kind of trying to rebrand and figure out what their identity is going to be post Donald Trump. Uh, the Democrats also have a terrible problem with this as well. They do not like to get rid of crazy people within their ranks. And it is pretty sickening. Uh, there's a lot of anti-Semitism within the ranks of the democratic party. And that's a pretty terrible look. The fact that Louis Farrakhan is even a name that a lot of Democrats are tied to is pretty terrifying to say the least, because he has said some incredibly anti-Semitic things. Um, but, the problem is that with this type of America first doctrine, okay, that was ushered in by Donald Trump and, you know, somewhat Republican and in its value on its face, okay, when it's fleshed out, it can get really dicey really quick, okay, wanting to take care of your own country and be proud of it is a good thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with appreciating and supporting the country that you reside in, that you either immigrated to, or that you were born in, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But if, when you say America first, you are implying that it should be centered solely around Anglo-Saxon-looking people and values, which has incredibly racist undertones, not, not just undertones, right? Like, that's, that's overt, right? Uh, that is not what America needs or was really even founded on. Okay, having this doctrine prevalent within members of the GOP that have a very, very loud voice in Republican circles is not the path that they need or want to go down 
at all. And unfortunately, it is very difficult to purge these people from the ranks of the Republican Party because many of them are tied so strongly to Trump and Trump's voting base. And Trump has definitely consolidated control of the Republican Party. I mean, Trump's CPAC speech a while ago, I think it was like, what, like a month or two ago, had more views and coverage than the Golden Globes. Which means that in just one speech that Donald Trump made, he beat out the coverage for the entirety of the Hollywood media conglomerate, okay? Whether people want to admit it or not, Trump had 75 million votes in 2020, okay? That's a lot of people. There are a lot of people that back Trump wholeheartedly, and they really agree with and buy into this America first type of doctrine, okay? The GOP will have to be very careful on how to curtail that and make sure that it doesn't go in this negative direction that is incredibly racist, okay? There's a reason why so many people on the left and so many people within this country think that there's a large portion of the GOP that fall under Trump are extremely racist, okay? And it's because they push stuff with language that directly says, we want specifically European architecture, what? And we want Anglo-Saxon uh, you know, type of politics, okay? That is, it's, it blows my mind. Uh, it's because a lot of people, you know, have been putting together documents like what was put together over the past couple of months to start the America First con uh, uh, Caucus, okay? That is not a good look. The GOP needs to uh, absolutely remove people like Marjorie Taylor Greene from their ranks, okay? At whatever they need to do. They've already stripped her of a lot of her House committee, uh, different appointments and stuff like that. Like, she, she really... The fact that she even still has a loud voice, though, within the Republican Party is just not a good look. I do think the vast majority of Republicans, though, did a pretty good job over the past couple of days, basically being like, she's she's an she's an idiot. Like that is not that is not what the Republican Party stands for. Like, don't believe her, don't buy into it. But the fact that there are people that are running under the Republican name, uh, that are running under Donald Trump's name in a lot of ways, that spout off crazy stuff like this is not good. And there is no way the Republicans are going to be able to convince people to come out to the polls in either the midterm elections next year or in 2024 to vote for a Republican if they're producing documents titled America First and they are clear racist in so many ways. Not a good look for the GOP. They're going to have to figure out what their identity is going to be. So with all of that, that is the end of our third story, our last story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our last segment, probably my favorite segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile over this past weekend was actually my birthday. So my birthday is today. Happy birthday to me. Woo. But uh, we went, me and a whole bunch of friends went up to Miyabi's Japanese Steakhouse and had a delectable dining experience. We had the full show, right? We had our fried rice. We had our hibachi steak and shrimps, right? Grubbing it with some white sauce. It was so good. And then a whole bunch of my buds also got together and got me a good bottle of bourbon as well. So I was having a great time. This weekend was an awesome weekend, awesome weekend, just kind of celebrating and hanging out with friends and family. Definitely much needed. Uh, and I enjoyed it a ton. Definitely made me smile. Always good to get together with people that you love and that love you as well uh, and to kind of celebrate together a bit. So with all of that, that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much, as always, for dropping by and for listening in and for checking us out. If you are looking to find me on in any sort of way, uh, you can find that actually in my outro at the end of the video. Remember, as always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We are always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Split the Difference Podcast, written, recorded, and hosted by Austin Taylor. If you're interested in getting in touch with me on Instagram, you can find me at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference and on my website at splitthedifference.com. Production for the intro and outro music done by Rosewood Records Recording Studio. If you're interested in booking or learning more about them, you can reach them on Facebook or Instagram at Rosewood Records SC or on their website, www.rosewoodrecordssc.com.